FM in tech online, JBA here, and welcome to bonus episode nine of Diversity and Mentorship and Technology, where we continue the conversation about diversity, mentorship, careers, and business in technology with our guest, Martha. Each bonus episode is tied to a show episode, so don't forget to check that out first if you haven't done so already. Now, one more time, it's time to introduce Martha Lasky and get into a deeper discussion regarding the topic of the week, hiring the right designer. So Martha, welcome back. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Great. So let's talk about hiring the right designer. I know there's a lot of listeners who have questions about not just designing, but sometimes the the idea is that as a developer or a designer, they're two different mediums. How do you find the right designer and what does that mean when you're creating your brand? Well, the right designer is going to be able to tell you exactly what you need for the amount of money that you need it to be. Um, a good designer will not need to do like crowdsourcing for uh, opinions because a good designer is going to know already what the customer needs. Um, and a lot of it, in fact, I'd say 99% of it is about communication with that client. Um, I spend more time asking my clients questions than anything else. What do you see in your business? Why are you selling this? Why should I buy your product versus that guy's product? Um, how much do you have to spend? And, and how many are you going to need? And when do you need it by? What's my deadline? Um, all of that stuff is, is part of the design process. And a good designer will be able to provide a high quality piece of work um, under budget and on time um, for a client uh, for a client who's going to use it for years to come. Awesome. And actually, one question I have because as a developer myself, working, you know, we work on the opposite sides of the the same project. What are some assets that a designer or a client that employs a designer would need to then, let's say, create a website? I know a lot of listeners may not know after handing off the information to the designer stepping back, but they really may need to be involved in the process. What, what are some assets or some deliverables that listeners can come take away with when they're hiring a designer? Well, depending on the kind of company, um, most of the assets that a designer is going to give to their client or the client's going to give to the designer is, um, you know, things like uh, images of your product or, you know, location specifics or specs or something like that. On the designer end, you're going to need um, to provide, uh, you know, your logo files, your image files, your text files, um, embedded fonts, um, things like that, uh, or, or you know, your your social media links, your ability to be in the in the web and in the public visual communication that we live in. Um, you want to be able to provide, you know, responsive design that's going to allow for uh, viewing and communication on every single platform. Um, and you know, the, the, the language of the designer and the language of the developer are two different languages. Um, even though it, it's like how German and English come from the same root, one is one and one is the other. Um, and you, you need to be able to communicate effectively with your developer and with your designer so that you can create a cohesive product. Um, and you know, it, there's also, you know, some some people out there who are like only specifically front end designers or only specifically back end developers. Some people are both. Um, and there's plenty of software out there that will like allow you to do both. Um, 
but say you're going to do something like on WordPress, right? Well, there's, you know, a, a, a separate skill set that you need for one thing and a separate skill set that you need for the other. So it becomes a, uh, a creative community. Um, Hiring a team, essentially it's a team. Right. Exactly. And that's one thing that I wanted to, to mention to DMIT when I teach the class, I kind of separate those roles out because sometimes when you're hiring, you see web <laughs> and you think, oh, this person's a web person. They can do everything. And in this day and age, it's very difficult to find someone who is good at uh, logo design or print design and creative web design because it has to do with psychology, fonts, typography, colors, just how people think when they're looking at something. And then coding when it comes to the interactivity and then programming when it comes to actually uh, using databases and storing information security. So having a team exactly. definitely, to your point, is definitely the right right way to go. I want to take a step back and look at colors because that's something that mm-hmm. I think a lot of brands choose the different colors uh, specifically for a reason. And in the class that I teach, actually, I, I talk about McDonald's. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Founder with Michael. Yeah, King. I love that movie. Amazing. Movie. And, and I talk <laughs> about it in the class because it's so pivotal about how and why you choose your branding colors and, and how that impacts the user, uh, just visually, emotionally, psychologically. So, so what, what are your thoughts on, on that and color psychology? Well, color, color is a huge part of my job. I am constantly looking at PMS chips and, and deciding, well, why this tone versus that tone? Um, and a lot of it has to do with psychology. A lot of it has to do with how you feel when you see that color, um, or what that color represents the custom, uh, on the, on the consumer level. Um, for in, in the case of say, uh, McDonald's, right? You've bright reds, you've bright yellows. You're not going to miss those arches for a long time on that highway versus say a Starbucks green, which is a much more cooling, calming tone, um, and, and represents their brand on their level. Um, and those are all their own individual PMS colors. Nobody else has those colors. Those are their brand colors. Um, and part of your identity system as, as a brand is that you, you develop and, and you marry those colors and they become a part of your company and a part of the representation of your company. For our listeners, um, go back, go back and say PMS, yeah. you say PMS colors. What does that mean? Oh, hand uh, tone matching system. Uh, that is the, the sort of industry standard of, of, uh, printing colors that, uh, the company Pantone has, has created. Each color is representation, re- represented by, uh, an individual number or code. And that means that when you send that color out to your printer, whether it's an offset job or a digital job, um, it will always maintain its integrity of that color. It'll never be too light. It'll never be too dark. It's always that color. Mm, gotcha. Um, so in terms of the next, so, the, the uh, going into the, the topic you mentioned about separating the roles that we were talking about, at what point do you, as a client, hire someone like yourself in, in a design capacity and then someone maybe who is, like you said, a front-end designer who can work with something like WordPress? So I'm, I mean, I'm blessed in, in my abilities of, of I, I've been able to diversify my, uh, my abilities so that I kind of do a little bit of everything. But when I, you know, am going into a project like that, part of the thing that I look for is, is that communication effort? Is, is it, how collaborative is this person? And, and are they going to be right alongside me when I'm, when I'm working on this project so that I can produce a high quality product? 
you know, I, I have partnered with, with uh, a couple of different developers and they have been great. You, you know, uh, you're one of them. I mean, you're, you're uh, an incredibly well, talented. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't like tooting, tooting your, your own horn, your own show, but no, I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, you know, and, but, you know, part, part of it, again, is that communication. It's that, it's that, you know, are you able to, in, are you able to see what I'm seeing in the same way? Um, because when you are working on projects like this, you know, it's like somebody has to steer the ship. Somebody has to navigate the project. Somebody has to map it out. Somebody has to figure out how fast you're going, you know, and, and it all becomes, you know, part of that that team effort to be able to provide your clients with the highest possible thing that you can do. Absolutely. And one thing I, I saw that you in the past, of course, have worked with some pretty big clients, Citibank, uh, Gongo's Marketing Strategy, CIT, Lazard. How does that compare to working, of course, on a smaller budget with smaller clients? And to that point, moving into one versus the other, I'm sure there's different approaches, different communication strategies, different processes and rules. How does how that work? moving from one to the other or back and forth? Um, well, it, it, for example, if you're, if you're a higher, uh, let's say you're a Fortune 500 company, right? Let's say you're Citibank, right? Paul Lashier has already developed the identity for Citibank. You don't really have to do that much to it. You're basically just implementing her beliefs, uh, her, her identity that she has uh, developed, right? Versus, say, something that like I personally developed, like, say, the rebranding for Tombolino Restaurant in, in Yonkers, right? I came in, they had a very uh, dated uh, look and feel, so I redesigned their logo, their website, and all that stuff. So I had sort of more creative control over it versus something that had already been established, like a company like Citibank, which is this ubiquitous, huge company that like already has um, uh, work already created, and you're basically just plugging it in, into different um, instances, right? Um, but you still have to be like a brand manager in every aspect of what you do. You still have to be that, that steward of the brand so that it always looks the same no matter what. And you maintain those guidelines, um, and to the death, mm, um, because if you don't, you get, you get a completely different, um, you know, you get a completely different company. If you saw Citibank in any other typeface, you'd be like, that doesn't look like Citibank. Of course. <laughs> and and right? I guess, is that challenging for a designer? Because I wonder, myself not being one, you know, if you're trying to, the creative process, right? You're trying to grow and be creative, but you have to be creative with the constraints. In some cases, like Citibank, you really can't be that creative when it comes to Well, you'd be amazed, actually, because yeah. that becomes part of the fun part. It, it's, it's a lot of out-of-the-box, in-the-box thinking at the same time. Um, for, for huge banking corporations like Citibank or, or, or Lazard Asset Management or, or these you know, huge financial institutions, they really always want their, their really modern, clean approach, but they want to see it in a way they've never seen it before, but while maintaining those brand guidelines. So it becomes this wonderful logic puzzle um, mm. that you, you have to get to play with. And um, you get to challenge yourself in like, how can I show this in a cool way that no one's seen before, but it's going to maintain those guidelines. That's interesting. Um, and that may be almost more, more, yeah. more of a challenge than uh, doing it from scratch, it seems. It is because you, you're, 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 you're given the, the rules versus creating the rules on your own end. So you get to do whatever you want and then maintain the rules. 
Um, so it's two kind of sides of your brain that you're working on. Um, so it's really fun. And, and I have been incredibly, you know, uh, blessed in that I get to do both all the time. I work with huge companies. I work with little mom and pops. So it becomes like this great stretch of my, uh, my capabilities and I get to run the gamut of my skill set. So it's, it's great. What's one thing before we head out to younger entrepreneurs who are looking to either go the corporate route or start up? I mentioned one of the questions in the lightning round. You said, mm-hmm. and of course, it depends on what you're looking for. Kind of go in more in terms of if you were an entrepreneur, obviously it depends on your personality, corporate route or startup route and why, or maybe some decisions about why you've chose one or the other in the beginning. Well, I think it's easier to go the corporate route because there's always going to be a job there. Um, corporate corporations have money and they have the, uh, payroll to be able to make sure that you can pay your rent, you know, um, very important, <laughs> right. You know, versus a startup where you might not see any revenue for a while. Um, you know, you, you might be there on contingency of, well, when we get successful, then we'll be able to pay, you know, um, and you need to be able to prepare yourself for that. You need to be able to say, okay, well, what, what can I do? What's my personal, um, you know, budget is that this is going to make sure that I can do this versus say, um, a corporation who's like, here's the money, just do the job. Now that might be like a job that you might not necessarily want to do forever, but it's pays the rent, you know, um, versus a, a smaller startup that, yeah, it might be way more, um, exciting and creative and wow this is this great new idea and we're going to change the world with it we don't have any money but it's going to be great when we do <laughs> um, <laughs> we've all been there Jim. you don't have any money start, but you have great ideas so that's that's definitely a common thread so you know you you have to be able to make your best decision with the information that you have um if you are if you are dead set on, on working for that smaller company. And if that smaller company can maintain you economically the way you need into, then awesome. Um, or you can do what I did and, and work for the larger company and freelance on the side until you get to the point where you want to. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about diversity in the business place, but you know, one thing that you need to diversify is also your skill set. You need to be able to, to, to fill in those holes when you need to so that you don't have an economic gap, that you're never out of work, no matter what. Um, you know, being a freelancer allows me to kind of pick up and, and put down projects as I, as I choose. So it's nice I'm kind of like recession-proof that way. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize, like, well, let's say you're a homemaker, right? You're just getting back into the workforce after your kids grow up, go to school, and you're like, well, I don't have any skills. Yeah, you do. You've been a chauffeur, you've been a cook, you've been a consultant, you've been a teacher, you've been all these things, you have all these marketable skill sets that you can apply to the marketplace. So don't sell yourself short in the uh, initial assessment of your skill set. Like really think about what you can offer and bring to the table and then say, you know what? Okay, now you're going to pay me for it. That's amazing and great advice for anyone who's starting out or just looking to either go into the corporate route or startup route. Something that you want to take an assessment is that you can always do multiple things. You're not going to be stuck, especially in the technology field, where there's so many variety of aspects in the technology. Absolutely. Field. There's, there's always too. a company out there who's willing to pay you for your skills if you know how to bring it to the table. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to end the commentary episode of the 
podcast. And Martha, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and, and just giving our listeners so much value. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Jeremy. It's been an honor.